This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be back for 2022 with our first interview, a returning favorite. Uh, Sorry, I should say our first interview for 2022 and also our first interview ever. Back when we had no idea true, what we were doing. True, true, Back yes. when I still had hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, uh, as tradition has it, uh, at the start of each year we do bold predictions and uh, it is our pleasure to welcome Andrew Brown back to deliver his bold predictions for 2022. Andrew, welcome. Good morning, boys. So Andrew is the Executive Director at East 72 Holdings and has been on the show plenty of times. If you've just joined Equity Mates, uh, welcome. Uh, can't wait to, uh, well, thank you for joining the investing journey. Uh, it's going to be an awesome year. Make sure you go back and listen to some of Andrew's previous episodes and you'll understand why we're excited to have him back again. And you'll really be able to chart the um, improvement in our microphone quality uh, over the years <laughs> from uh, the first uh, uh, recording where I think we had one microphone between the three of us. Yes. And now we have so much technology surrounding <laughs> us that we can barely see each other. There's <laughs> a microphone on top of a box in, in a <laughs> nine square meter room. Yeah. So, it's a good yeah. interview though, albeit, yeah. albeit. Good. Absolutely. Yeah, one of our best, one yeah. of our best. But look, Look, um, Andrew, as we said, Mm. um, we're here to hear your bold predictions. Um, We would have done, we've done ours last week. So um, now we're going to hear from you. You've got four sort of big thematics that we're going to touch on. Absolutely. Let's kind of draw what I'll call the playing field or the pitch, okay, because I think that's really quite important as as we go into what I think is clearly going to be a new era for the time being. So what does the pitch look like? Let's to, to try and do that, let's go back 10 years, okay? Because remember, we're talking investment here. We're talking equity investments. So 10 years is not unreasonable to actually think about putting your money away. I know most people talk five, but 10's not stupid. 10 years ago, on the 31st of December uh, 2011, the Standard & Poor's 500 index was at 1257. 
The expectations for earnings in 2012 for the S&P 500 were around about 106, okay? So the stock market in the United States, for every dollar of earnings, you were having to pay around about sort of just under $12. And at the time, and this is the really interesting bit, the 10-year bond rate in the US, so the yield on a 10-year bond in the US was 2%. Let's fast forward then 10 years to the end of 2021. And obviously 2022 started with a bit of a bang, but let's just start at the end of 2021. So in 2021, the S&P 500 was 47.66. Great 10 years. Okay. (laughs) Earnings for next year or the current year, 2022, are expected to be 222, funnily enough. Now, that's an expectation. It may not be met. And so to move from about 105, 106 to 122 is around about 7 and a bit percent, 7.4% per annum compound growth in earnings per share for the US stock market, and that includes a tax cut. Mm. So that's not abnormal, by the way. Okay, some of you sort of think every company grows at 15% may find that pedestrian, (laughs) but that's normal, okay? That's normal. But, of course, the stock market's done way more than that. It's done 14.3% per annum compound capital growth, and it's given you some dividends as well. They're not huge, but it's given you dividends as well. So half of the stock market's gain in the last 10 years in the US has come from earnings, okay? Earnings grow. But the other half has actually come from what? It's just just come from rabid enthusiasm, okay? Because the bond rate's still pretty much the same. We'll call it, it was about 1.5% at the end of 2021, all right? So it's people's rabid enthusiasm about the future. The earnings well into the future are going to grow at much quicker rates than have grown at the past. So it's not what everybody tells you that interest rates have re-rated the stock market because over 10 years they actually haven't, Mm. okay? It's just investor enthusiasm. So that's the first little bit. We've had a lot of enthusiasm and we've got to now try and justify that and I think that's going to be really hard. Mm. The second thing is, of course, the stock market's done 14% plus per annum compound for 10 years. It's had one down year in 10 years, and that was 2018 when it was like minus one and a bit percent. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was barely measurable, so it the, was flat really. The fact that it was in 2020 when we had a pandemic and yeah. lockdowns is just Stunning. mind-blowing still. It yeah. is. <laughs> and eight of those 10 years, the stock market's returned over 13%. And remember, half this stuff's coming not from interest rates. It's just coming from, oh, we're in a new era of technology and a new era of slumming. So the other aspect about this, of course, is that a lot of that driver in the stock market has been you know, a very small number of mega cap tech stocks over the last 10 years. Mm. And in 2021, those mega cap tech stocks with one... sort of one exception really over the course of the year, basically just went to Mars is is probably the best way to put it. Mm. The average return from the eight largest mega cap tech stocks in the US was 45% last year. (laughs) Now, these are hardly companies that nobody's ever heard of, Mm. okay? What are the eight? I I mean, everybody conceives their own thing. Uh, I I now call them Mamanant because it's it's a much... Oh, we've been calling them Ant Mama. Yeah, Yeah. Ant Mama. So it's the same thing. So, yeah, just if you, you know, if you have been living under a rocket, 
it's basically Microsoft, Apple, Meta, which yep. is obviously the old Facebook, uh, Amazon, and then Netflix, Alphabet, NVIDIA, and Tesla. Yeah, you see, we take Netflix out of it because every every other company there is like eight hundred billion yeah. plus. Netflix is around three hundred yeah, billion. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the the aspect of it that's crucial is those companies make up about twenty eight percent of the S and P five hundred. Mm. Okay, now they obviously weren't that ten years ago, and so they they've driven forward. So what it tells you. It tells you that so the S and P's returned fourteen plus percent over tech compound over ten years. These guys have obviously gone nuts mm. over that period of time, and so there's a whole bunch of other companies out there that haven't returned anywhere close to fourteen percent. The rest of the stock market, yeah, <laughs> they call it the rest of the stock market. So what what you have as we've entered into 2022 is we have a situation where interest rates can't really go any lower. They've been at their low on a 10-year bond. The low was about 1% in February of 2021, and they finished the year at about 1.5%. And in the first 12 trading days of 2022, since we're recording this on the 20th of January, 2022, uh, they've jumped, yields have jumped 35 basis points or a third of a percent. Mm-hmm. So rates are going up. Inflation is over 7% in the US. Okay. And, and interest rates clearly don't reflect that. And everybody's talking about inflation. Now, if everybody's talking about something, it's usually a good idea to talk about something else. <laughs> Subtle hint. Okay. There's a good chance that inflation ain't going to go much higher. I'm not saying it's peaked, but it may not go much higher. It may not come down quickly, but it, this this may be the sort of the, the it, but mm-hmm. interest rates haven't caught up with inflation yet. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen over the course of the year is that long-term bond yields will rise, in my opinion, and probably have a three in front of them at some stage. Short-term interest rates are going to rise because the Federal Reserve is going to pu- push them up anyway. And as the Federal Reserve withdraws from buying government securities – which, of course, pushes their price up and keeps their yields down, then the demand for government securities that yield next to nothing by anyone else on the planet is pretty pretty small. So the yields are going to rise, and they're going to rise a little bit in Europe. They're going to rise in Australia as well, despite what the Reserve Bank think. And so we're going to have a situation where interest rates are not going to normalise, but they're going to start on a pathway to normalising. And so you've got a situation where... As we built the pitch, this stock market has risen strongly over a 10-year period with only one down year, and interest rates have not been the contributing factor to at least half of that rise. It's just enthusiasm by investors about whatever. Okay, We can call it tech, we can call it the cloud, we can call it green, we can call it crypto, we can call it the meta, we call it whatever you want. Okay, It's just enthusiasm about the future. Mm. And when people build in too much enthusiasm about the future, you usually have a problem. Why do you think that's going to change this year though? Um, because interest rates make it more difficult to sustain, or rising interest rates make it more difficult for you to sustain your investment in a long-term growth story that doesn't grow or that has hiccups along the way. If you don't think that investors don't get legged up by these things and they overprice things too much, let's look at 2021. For as much as the top eight megatech stocks excluding Amazon were fantastic performers in 2021. I mean, Meta was, you know, Meta was sort of fairly boring.
scoring, you know, and he did about sort of, yeah, over the course of the year, and he did 23%. It was sort of, you know, one of the other boring ones. But, you know, you saw a whole heap, as we discussed back in our December podcast, a whole heap of second-line tech stocks got murdered. Mm. because they didn't live up to their business model, yeah. okay? Yeah. And interest rates, people started to get worried about the business model. So they don't just they don't just fall a little bit. They get absolutely, you know, they just get massacred as, you know, we, we most obviously saw, with, you know, Peloton's the best example, I think. Mm. So the issue is going to be for people, as interest rates rise, it becomes more difficult to sustain your investment in these kind of companies. Their long-term, you know, if you're correct about the company and you had perfect foresight, they're a long-term income stream, a very long-term income stream. And clearly as rates, interest rates go up, the value of that income stream is going to come down. But one of the reasons I'm so excited about 2022 from an investment standpoint and particularly from the standpoint of people listening to equity mates, you know, a slightly younger population than me, is that you cannot just invest on themes. One of the things you maybe have been able to do in the last few years is be a thematic investor. Mm. Yeah. So you've invested maybe in green technology. Yeah. You know, the best investment theme has been mega cap tech. Let's be mm. blunt. You know, you just had to put that in your mind, go to sleep, wake up and count your money. You know, it's been as simple as that. You're not going to be able to do that in 2022, you're going to have to do some real work and you're going to end up if you buy stocks or even if you buy ETFs with, I think, a really eclectic portfolio of stuff. And I don't mind telling you, my portfolio right now is the most eclectic and strange it's been in a very, very long time. (laughs) Seriously. must be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you had some pretty was, wacky stuff. Uh, in I there. had some wacky stuff anyway. But it, it wasn't vanilla to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, right at the outset, I think it's highly likely that the US stock market will not produce a positive return in 2022. Okay, well, that we're, we're looking for bold predictions here and I think we mark that down as yeah. your first bold prediction. Mark it down as a bold prediction. Actually, we should also mark down that... Uh, 10-year bond will have a three in front of it? At some stage during the year. Yeah, yeah. there we go. we got two. And I don't think this US stock market will have a positive trip. Why is that? Well, earnings expectations are for earnings growth of about 10%. I think that's a bit too easy. That's a bit like sort of just sort of pin the tail on the donkey stuff. And I think one of the issues is going to be where do you get 10% earnings growth from in such an uncertain world? And the uncertainty is not just COVID. It's not just supply chains. It's not just inflation. It's not just labour shortages, which is in a sense one and the same as inflation. But it's also the fact that, you know, the consumer is starting to get kicked around in the US a little bit as well. Um, and consumer confidence is starting to wane a bit. And the consumer in the US is the economy, as, as you know, you well know. Mm. So that there is a real chance in a year when you have midterm elections, so the T word gets put back in the vocabulary, unfortunately, R-U-M-P. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's going to create a lot of uncertainty again, in my opinion. So I think it's it's really likely that trying to get 10% earnings growth out of the US in this type of environment may not be that easy. Okay. Yeah. And it's earnings growth that's got to drive the market because, as I've said, there's not interest rates going to drive it and there's not enthusiasm by investors going to drive it because they've driven out enough already. So it's got to come from earnings growth. So if you're buying expensive 
growth stocks, you better make sure they're going to grow this year because if they don't, they're, they're going to be a little bit troublesome. And that might even include some of the big eight. Yeah, it's interesting though because time and time again, those big Ant Mama stocks oh, yeah. continue to surprise the market. Oh. Apple every time, Amazon every time. Yeah, Alphabet not Amazon, time. not Amazon every time. Amazon, Most Amazon, times. Amazon, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon is at a very interesting juncture. Okay, obviously without its, you know, not without, but you know, its its founding father has stepped back. Its retail business is under much greater pressure from competitors now. The targets of the world are the WalMarts of the world. No, um, there are potentially emerging issues about AWS. But um, you know, it's not quite the beh- the strong behemoth that everybody thought a year to eighteen months ago. Now that's reflected in the stock market. The stock returned two and a half percent last mm. year. So you know, it's it, it's not like we're saying anything new. So, so are you are you making a third bold prediction that Amazon will be the worst performing of those seven? No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Trying to the, the, trying the, to coax some the, uh, the impromptu the, ones out. No, the chances are it might be the be- it might be one of the better performing of those. Okay. Seven. Okay. okay. Well, that's the prediction. Is that the prediction? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think well, it's it's going to play catch up, but mm. you know, uh, as, as you're going to find out in a second, I, I'm not looking at those technology stocks to make money out yeah. of. Okay. Because quite clearly, what I've painted is the ten year picture. I'm looking around for things that are really, really good businesses but have not been mm. you know, led up in price, way in excess of valuation by investor enthusiasm. And so I'm looking in I'm looking in other places where people are reticent, but where the underlying businesses are really, really good. Mm. Okay. I guess one thing some people may say is what we see from these mega cap tech stocks is that they get to they build such operating leverage into their yes. business that as they grow that it just all falls down to their profit line yeah and so maybe it justifies bigger um multiples it the, big, you, the yeah. bigger multiple justification is not just that but in most cases not all of the of the big eight their capital management is pretty amazing Mm-hmm. Yeah, the you know Apple is the Apple is astonishing. Yeah, yeah. yeah you you basically issue very very long term debt at nothing, and then just use it to buy back your own stock yeah. uh, in droves, and their their cash flow you know drives that as well. So yeah, Apple Apple can go a long long way and can actually load up at quite a bit more net debt onto the balance sheet, um, you know, before they would would start to worry. Mm. So their capital management's been amazing. I think Google's capital management is amazing as well. Microsoft obviously have, have you know literally had done a bit ago <laughs> made their you know big big move to try and kill off everybody else in the gaming space. Yeah, yeah. You know, e- each of these companies has got their own different ways of managing capital and, and and gaining operating leverage. But you know, for Nvidia, it's not always the case with that. There's plenty of other leverage that mm. operates on Nvidia, which is you know obviously what's going on in, in the chip market for them or yeah, in their yeah. bit of the market, etc. Yeah, doesn't apply to all of them. Like you doesn't wouldn't, say, you wouldn't say the same thing. About Tesla. No, no, no. And yeah, they're, they're, each of them are market leaders in their own particular way as well. And that brings with it its own, uh, its own capabilities. You know, but don't forget each, you know, each decade, you know, each, each 15 years, market leadership of stuff changes. Mm. So we can, and you don't necessarily see where it's coming from. So, so where does that leave us? Okay, where do we go? Where do we go looking? You know, for things that are really, you know, where, where there is genuine value and there's still some growth. 
um, and they're really pretty cheap and nobody wants to know. Okay, well, there's, there's a myriad of things. And before we jump into that, we will just take a really quick break to hear from our sponsors. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Andrew, myriad of things. Where are we looking? Okay, the most obvious place to look because everybody else has said, we are not playing here anymore. We don't want to play on your pitch anymore. We're leaving and we've sold our stock and left. Can I guess? Have a guess. China. China. Absolutely right. So, Andrew, we do a stock of the year every year and every year I manage to lose money um, and then the next year that the stock that I pick does really well. Yes. Happened with Costa, happened with Atomos. Yep. I think it's about to happen with Tencent this year. Yeah. <laughs> the really critical thing is, number one, I mean, the Chinese market was down around about 16% last year and obviously it dragged Hong Kong down with it. Mm. Why? Uh, effectively, it, it was obviously all to do with, with tougher government policy common prosperity are the two key words, a lot more regulation. And it may be the Chinese government feel they've over-regulated because the economy did slow quite strongly at certain stages last year, not in the last quarter because the numbers there were very good. But what they've done in China, you've actually got looser monetary policy, mm. whereas you've got tighter monetary policy elsewhere. And you've got Xi Jinping at Davos yeah. begging the rest of the world to not tighten. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, so what you've got now is you've got a group of large companies in China that now know what the rules are. Two years ago, they didn't. The rules got changed on them perhaps quite abruptly and obviously it had a massive impact on their stock prices, a delayed impact on their stock prices. Alibaba is your is your traffic light for that one, okay? Mm. So if you don't want to buy an individual stock because you're a little bit worried because they do operate in different ways uh, and they do operate in different things, buy, buy a basket of them. So uh, I've highlighted this before. My favourite basket is the Crane Shares China CSI mm. China Internet, K-Web, listed in the US. Of the companies, I think Tencent is probably the most interesting Love it. to me. And... Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, obviously, Tencent controls Tencent Entertainment, which we discussed in the music industry mm. last time I came in here as well. Uh, it's got a big state in Universal Music. Mm. So I think to try and buy a basket of Chinese stocks, particularly the, the, cap, the, the mega cap tech stocks is the way to go because they're all now trading on basically fairly low teens PEs. Mm. Yes, that you can throw all the old issues. They've got variable interest uh, structures. You know, there's issues about the listings in the US. Some of them are being impenetrable from an account standpoint, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's been the case even when people were paying 35 times earnings for these mm. things. You know, you're now not paying anywhere near that. They've come down a lot. I think they're very, very interesting uh, to look at. And as you know, many of the major mega cap tech stocks in the US are effectively shut out of China. So they create their own little local mm. monopolies and oligopolies. The second place to look, okay, so China, you can either look on a stock-specific basis. I've said I'd rather play it on a basket basis. Uh, the second place to look is Hong Kong. Because Hong Kong got really shredded because Hong Kong was supposed to have some degree of autonomy from China. Mm. And obviously, as we saw in 2021, that disappeared by and large. Does that mean Hong Kong's stock market has disappeared? No. Does it mean that Hong Kong's economy has disappeared? Well, it's slowed. Okay, but you know there are a whole heap of absolutely fantastic companies in Hong Kong, and by and large, their share prices did next to nothing last year, and indeed, obviously, as a group went down about fifteen percent. My favourite play in Hong Kong, and it has the ticker symbol one. Oh, actually, oh 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 one. One dot Hong Kong is basically C.K. Hutchison which is um, the Lee family or Lee Ka Shing's master company, okay? It's basically got port assets uh, around the world, but particularly obviously in that part of the world. It has massive telecommunications assets in Europe through the three network. Uh, it has retail in Asia and it has a massive infrastructure business, which you would know in Australia. And that's conducted through about a 78% controlled subsidiary called CK Infrastructure, which is listed in Hong Kong. But when you put together CK Hutchison, you can't find any value fund manager who thinks the stock, which is trading at about 55 Hong Kong dollars, mm. is worth less than about 85. Massively undervalued. It's on a P of five. Wow. Okay. And and it's giving you things which some of which are long-term income streams like infrastructure. You might argue ports are as well, but you know, ports will, you know, continue to do okay as they unjam themselves. Telecoms is a long-term income stream as well, and there's a lot happening in telecoms in Europe. And as you know, one of my themes in talking with you guys consistently over the last five years has been if someone's a billionaire and they've grown it themselves from nothing, why go against them? Why not park alongside them and hitch a <laughs> ride? Okay. And so you're doing that with effectively what was the richest family in Hong Kong, the yeah. Lee family. You uh, love a you love a family controlled conglomerate. Like I do, no one absolutely. Else. Yeah. Why not? And this is this has been dull as ditch water for years. I accept that. Okay. Every value fund in the world has owned this thing mm. and it's been 
it's let's call it a dog's insulting, but it's been very, very dull. Mm. Okay, and it, and it's certainly worth sixty percent more than the prevailing share price. Mm. So I think that's really, really well worth a look. In Hong Kong, I wouldn't buy an ETF. I would go stock picking. Okay. Okay. One of the obvious things, if you think capital markets in the region are going to, you know, going to liven up a little bit, and if you're worried about Chinese companies being shut out from the US market, where are they all going to have better listings? Hong Kong. Yeah. So you can buy Hong Kong Exchange, for example, yeah. you know, as a stock exchange there. So really look in Asia because there's a lot more bargains in, in Asia and in particular look in China. Let's use the same theme, okay? Yeah. Um, there's one other market which is actually very, very big. It has some astonishing companies and particularly just as we speak, for reasons which are extremely obvious, called the Ukraine border, there are a stack of things in Russia oh, okay. that are about as cheap as they ever get. Mm. One hint on buying Russian stocks. Number one, you can buy them in London. So you can buy all these things through global depository receipts in London. Okay. So you don't have to open an account with a stockbroker. You'd prefer not to. <laughs> But the second thing is you always buy Russian stocks when there's a political problem, okay, because they can run extremely hard and get a, not super expensive but a little expensive, but they fall to pieces whenever there's a risk of some real political upheaval. And the political upheavals usually revolve around the armed forces. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. and they usually revolve around the armed forces sort of poking their nose into a former Soviet Republic, okay? And as we speak, of course, that may or may not be happening with Ukraine, which has obviously been the one that you know, has mm. been where the tension has largely been over the last five years. So what that's done is it's taken a lot of these Russian stocks down quite heftily. There are two stocks in Russia I think are absolutely spectacular, okay? The first is Russia's biggest bank, which is called Spurbank, uh, S-B-E-R-B-A-N-K, it trades in London as well. It is 50% plus one share owned by the Russian Ministry of Finance. That sounds tricky. It's actually not because Spurbank has roughly 43 44% market share of loans and deposits in Russia. So the Russian Ministry of Finance needs Spurbank to be strong highly profitable, pay very attractive dividends back to it and make sure the locals don't lose confidence in Spurbank as just being uh, going to have their money sucked up. They've just reported some preliminary numbers for 2021, so they're very preliminary. The bank made a profit of 1.273 trillion rubles. What's that in uh, US dollars? Yeah, what's that in real money? It's uh, <laughs> it's about sixteen billion US dollars. No, that's wow. not not bad. It's Nothing a twenty four and a half percent return on equity, and the stock's market cap is seventy three billion US. It trades on a P of four and a half. And the Russian finance minister owns a controlling interest in it. Yeah, fifty percent. So it would be like in Australia if Simon Birmingham, who's our finance minister, or Friedenberg, who's our yeah, treasurer. No, it's a ministry oh, of finance. But oh, oh not, the yeah, not the minister. No, the oh, ministry of finance. Right. So, so the, the ministry government. of finance okay, yeah, yeah, are yeah. not going to mess about with it. Oh that makes more sense. The that's great... just like that is a that's just, just an unbelievable conflict. Yeah, now, what, which what, what happened first? Were they minister or about, they own it? About twenty five percent of it is owned by global investors through the London GDRs, okay, as well. The great thing about Spurbank is can you imagine 
a much bigger Commonwealth Bank, you know, mm. a much bigger market share than it has, so like twice the market share it has, mm. also having an e-commerce platform. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. That's Spurbank. That's what Spurbank's got. <laughs> or, or like an, an Amazon vibe, like selling yeah. a bit of everything? Yeah. Or, okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the best thing I can suggest to you is Spurbank has lots of English language presentations, uh, including an investor day in, back in November. If you want to meet the person you do not want to find on the other end of the now Microsoft-owned World of Warcraft... Just have a look at the Spurbank thing, the Russian rocket scientist, okay? This bank is so smart, it's not funny, it's got great technology, and it's back down at a level, which is just under 13 US dollars for the depository receipts, which are four to one on the underlying Russian ruble stock. So, And it's been brought back down there by just general Russian fears and everything else. Mm. Don't forget the Russian economy quite enjoying things at the moment. Why? Look at the oil price. So why not buy Russia's biggest oil producer? Yeah. Okay. Gazprom. Yeah. You can buy Gazprom. Gazprom is on a P of three. Wow. Gazprom is lower in share price terms in US dollars through its London listing again than it was in June. Okay. Are they also big, like, are they the big gas producer? Oh, very good. Yes. How are they only on a PE of three? Well, have you seen the gas price to those lovely German consumers (laughs) in the last six months? You know, I think, you know, I think Willy and Hildegard are just basically uh, buying a few extra blankets because they can't afford the gas. Okay. So uh, basically, Gazprom's on a PE of about three and a bit. I'm going to suggest, and you can find this stuff, okay? It's really easy to find. This is somebody I've never mentioned in these podcasts before. There's a wonderful guy in Perth called Willie Packer. Uh, He's been an analyst for a couple of brokers uh, a long, long time ago, and in 1993 he set up his own business called Packer & Co. No relation to some more famous Packers. (laughs) And he runs a thing called the Investigator Trust. He runs it out of Perth, and you've never heard of it, and it's got a mega $2.25 billion under management. Wow. He writes very quirky really common sense letters twice a year and only about six to seven pages and they're so simple Mm. your grandmother could understand them and i love reading them because they're so simple there's nothing you know they're not going to win any academic awards but they're just common sense beyond belief this gentleman has 35 percent of his fund in cash and he's got 35 percent in russian and chinese stocks wow Okay, his biggest Chinese stock is China Telecom. He's also got CNUP, okay, and his Russian stocks, uh, he doesn't have, he may have Spurbank, but it, it's not disclosed if he does. But his Russian stocks are pretty much all oil and gas stocks. Uh, Gazprom is his biggest position. It's about 8 9% of his fund, wow. okay? Uh, I think he's, you know, I wouldn't make it 8 or 9% of my fund, but I think he's <laughs> on the right lines. So it's one of the cheapest oil stocks in the world. Yeah. So... You know, remember, I mean, you know, if, if you, you know, if you were listening to October 2020, I told you to buy X, uh, Exxon at 34, it's 72. You know, so it, it's sort of doubled and, you know, each of the US companies have got their own little quirks and everything else. But, you know, this one, despite the oil price being at a high, so don't put 20% of your portfolio into it, but it, it might be worth a look and it is buyable through these things. Mm. Uh, if you like the Russian story generally, then obviously there are Russian ETFs that you can have a look at. Okay, but so I'm looking at those kind of things. 
what else am I looking at? You know, with, with this stock market like last year, it's now so bifurcated. You know, in other words, in two directions. It's not funny. We, so we've got these expensive but high-quality megatech stocks, mm. but we've still got stacks of cheap value stocks, and they're now getting more attention from people. They're either in a cyclical part of the economy that's now going to grow and benefit from price rises. You know, a lot of things for them have, have been made better by what's gone on. So to give you an idea, let's look at two or three, you know, very special things that might be interesting. One is Bayer, the chemical business. Oh, yeah. Okay, in Germany, Bayer's on a P of about seven or eight. Mm. Just remember when German companies make big acquisitions, Run for the hills. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. The two worst acquisitions in Europe, of, in top 10 worst of all time, mm. yeah, were both made by German companies. Daimler's merger with Chrysler, which obviously they then unraveled, thankfully, mm. later on. And, of course, Bayer spent $62 billion on Monsanto mm. and bought itself, you know, bought itself a little thing called Roundup. <laughs> bought uh, itself a lot of lawsuits. Uh, a lot of lawsuits. <laughs> so it's... You know, it's basically getting it together. It's obviously in an area where basically it does have some pricing power, okay? Uh, and, you know, the stock's done nothing much over the past six to nine months. So I think that is well, well, well worth a look. Mm. You know, it's again, you know, it's in that sort of, um, you know, value area, specialty area. I'm looking at some fallen angels in tech. Mm, okay. Um, After paying zip? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. One of the most interesting ideas I've got, and I do have a holding in it, is Dropbox. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Dropbox is $9 billion business, market mm. cap. It's got net cash. It's got Elliott Associates on the register, which is generally a good thing. Hello, BHP. Well, uh, Twitter had them, but Twitter. nothing seemed well, to Nothing seemed to happen. Dropbox is interesting because they've definitely changed tack. Okay. Okay. Uh, I will acknowledge we can argue all morning long as to whether Dropbox is a viable long-term business, and you will both say no, and I won't disagree with you. Yeah, well, as a business that runs on the free, Google Drive. Yeah, system. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Dropbox. We pay is, for it, but yeah. yeah. But it, it can be free. Yeah. It can be free. Yeah. Dropbox <laughs> is expensive. It's all these video files that yeah. you keep making. <laughs> Dropbox has got really expensive over the past couple of years. Yeah. So they, they've really been hiking prices without people, re well, people like me realize because I'm no longer a customer of Dropbox yeah, in right. one area of my business. I am in another, but not in, in the main area. It's gone elsewhere. Okay. But Dropbox works really well. It is by far and away the best uh, for small and medium business for, for you know, the, these kind of cloud storage. Okay, if you're a mega business, no, it's not. But what Dropbox is starting to do, and please bear in mind, is about $250 million worth of stock issuance every year to employees, okay? But their free cash flow is going to go, is going to get to around a billion dollars uh, in 2022, including that stock issuance, okay? So it's a bit of a cheat there. But they're starting to buy back stock at a rate of knots with um, Elliot's finger strategically, you know, positioned between their shoulder blades to make sure they don't go away. <laughs> what it means is, you know, the stock is actually relatively cheap. So you've got a billion dollars potentially of free cash flow on a sort of $9 billion equity company. Yeah, wow. That's pretty interesting in that kind of tech space. It is still growing customers, but I will acknowledge it's not the best of the bunch by any means, but well worth a look because they're the kind of things that you start to get when you get a fallout in tech. You actually do get some values. My 
quirky is stock because I want to I want to explain that there is such a thing as the best business in the world. Okay. Okay. You all think the best business in the world is Apple and Microsoft mm. and Google and things like that. Okay. The best business in the world is none of those. The best business in the world has very few employees. But the best business in the world is a 108-kilometre-long toll concession <laughs> that runs around the city of Toronto. Okay. And um, it's, called, um, it's called ETR 407. Okay. It used to be called Highway 407, but the now the government bit is called Highway 407. It's the other 40-odd oh, kilometres of a 150-kilometre link. Okay. Right. Okay. If you've ever been to Toronto, there are two things about Toronto. Three, sorry. Number one, it shouldn't be in Canada. It should be in the United States. It's just, it's an American city that happens to be <laughs> over the border. Okay. Number two is it's got shit tons of traffic congestion. And number three, people's obsession with property makes people in Sydney's obsession with property look like a, a mere interest. Really? Okay. There Absolutely. You go. Okay. <laughs> now, ETR 407 is owned by three companies or three people. One is Canadian Canada's public CPPIP that's made a number of investments here. They own 50% of it. Uh, secondly, a company called Sintra, uh, which Macquarie used to have an interest in going back 20-odd years, um, and Macquarie sold part of uh, 407 to uh, CPPIP through the takeover of Intol, which was listed in Australia briefly. Ferrovial in Spain owns Sintra and it owns 43% roughly of the road. So that leaves seven. Who owns the seven? The seven is owned by a company in Canada called SNC-Lavalin. If you Google SNC-Lavalin, all you will see is the five-letter word fraud. Okay, because they were indicted for basically fraudulent contracts uh, by the Canadian government uh, and the share price got absolutely cratered as a consequence of that in 2019. And these guys used to own 17% of ETR 407 and that's sell 10% for $3.2 billion in 2019. Why is ETR 407 the best business This in the was world? the question that I wanted to get to. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. It's full electronic tolling. It is full variable tolling. So it's variable tolls. So if you go and there's nobody on it, you don't pay very much. If you go and there's a load of people on it, you pay a ton. Okay. The average toll is about 50 cents a kilometre in, in peak hour between 7.30 and 9.30 in the morning. 50 cents a kilometre and it's a 50 kilometre No, it's a 108 long kilometre stretch. Now, oh, nobody's okay. going to do 108 kilometres on it, I can assure you. Yeah, right. Okay. But what it means is it's basically inflate and it's inflation proof. Okay. So it's electronic variable tolling that's inflation proof. It's the first electronic variable tolling highway in the world. There you go. Okay. And Macquarie sold it. Sorry, big mistake, boys. Big <laughs> mistake. Okay. So SNC Lavalin's got a market cap of five billion Canadian. Okay. I think that asset is worth two. They are one of the biggest engineers in nuclear 
anywhere in North America and whatever your views on nuclear, I think the fact is it's coming back. Mm. Whether you want it to or not, it's coming back as part of the green move. They are working off some uh, what are called uh, long-term or lump-sum turnkey projects which in contracting language is a license to lose money. In other words, it's a fixed fixed project that's complex. Mm. Sorry, fixed price projects, complex. They've got three left. They're working those off. And what they've also got is a really, really good engineering business in the UK. So it's, it's a fascinating – it's another one of this sector of companies around the world where the stock market hates construction companies mm. and it hates engineering companies that build stuff. So, you know, we've discussed in the past Simicon here, uh, Lend-Lease I'm an owner of. I know that's not infrastructure and we don't want Lend-Lease in engineering. Thank you very much because they're no good at it, <laughs> okay? But Simic are good at it and Simic is not half as cheap as its parent, which I do own, which is Hochschief in Germany. You know, imagine in this sort of world of dross, you know, there, there's a Canadian company that owns $2 billion worth of the best asset in the world, mm. okay? The shares have jumped from their lows, um, uh, but, you know, they're still ridiculously cheap. Elsewhere, obviously, I think if you don't have some gold in this environment, you're nuts, just as a hedge. And the, the best way for me are the two Vanek gold mining ETFs, which I own. What about digital gold? <laughs> I do believe... One of the things I think is really going to happen over the course of 2022 is I believe the crypto world is going to go through some fairly significant upheaval. Okay. Hit that as a bold prediction. You can hit that as a bold <laughs> prediction. And the upheaval is going to mean that Bitcoin and, to a degree, Ethereum are going to get moved out of fashion. Okay. Because Bitcoin does nothing. It does Zero. It has People listening and disagree, take it up with Andrew. Yeah, take it up with Andrew. It does nothing. Ethereum does some things. We know Solana does some more things, mm. and then there's a whole lot of other coins which you can ring me up and tell me about, which do lots and lots <laughs> of things, uh, and will play a role in the metaverse, and they will play a role in distributed ledger technology. Mm. Um, they may play a minor role in fintech, I think what's going to happen is in the crypto world, the regulators are starting to come. In a world where interest rates are going up, so your speculation is no longer free, mm. where too many of the old coins are controlled by whales, these things are oligopolies. Yeah. You know, don't come and tell me you love crypto because you are rebelling against the world and you, know, you want a new world. That's a nonsense, you know. You're not. You're making the rich people even richer, okay? <laughs> I urge you to read a piece by Scott Galloway, uh, which is published recently, which is uh, called Web3, yeah. okay? And it's about how many of you think Web3 is wonderful, but it's, it's the same old oligopolists. Mm. It's just a new bunch of oligopolists trying to, you know, get rid of the old bunch of oligopolists. Mm. Well, if you want to do that, you might as well reinvest in Russian equities. Mm. Think about it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so I think there's going to be a lot of upheaval in crypto, which, you know, we'll, we'll start to play a bit of havoc with speculation. I do think there's going to be a lot more volatility because, in, you know, these moves, this bifurcation in markets is going to create vol. Yep. Okay. And so 
uh, you know, everyone knows I've mentioned it 108 times. So here's <laughs> the 109, which is virtue in America, the only listed uh, liquidity supplier in the world other than Flow Traders in Amsterdam. It benefits from vol. It, it, it's got great tech. It's sort of seen to be doing about six to seven percent of U.S. equity volumes, and it's got nothing in options. And don't forget, you all know that options were the driver last year, which is why Citadel made so much money. Mm. And Citadel have just sold a stake in themselves. Well, Andrew, a few minutes left. Yeah, let's come home. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to close it out with? Well, in Australia, I mean, to be quite honest with you, if if I think China is going to be a more interesting environment, then certain things in Australia are probably going to be okay. So I, I think you know you should have some commodity exposure. Obviously, uh, that's going to be commodity by commodity. So uh, copper, there's very few plays, unfortunately. Iron ore is interesting. I think it's come off the bottom. The stock prices, unfortunately, have reacted really aggressively to that. I mean, you could have bought Fortescue at 14 bucks three months ago, and it's now 23. You know, it's, it's a big rise. My favorite is Deterra. It's a long term income stream, um, which is the royalty uh, over BHP's MAC mining area uh, and their south flank and the growth that comes from that. It's pure royalty. So it's pure price and volume play on iron ore. I think that's the safest way to go, but there'll be trading opportunities and the other things. Uh, obviously, if what I've said about gold is right, well, you know, you pick your own gold stocks. Banks are interesting because I think the Australian economy is going to be a lot more difficult than people imagine. Don't forget, we've got an election. That election is going to be close. I think there will be a change of government, mm. but they're not going to have a majority in the upper house. You know, there's there's lots of people postulating who do I put last in the Queensland Senate, because there's going to be a, there's a whole lot of extreme right wingers that are standing for those Queensland Senate places, and some of them will get in, mm. and so they're going to make life difficult for a Labor government. Yeah, you know, they're going to have to deal with you know personalities mm-hmm. you know and don't love. There's a chance there might be. A few independent MPs in the lower house. I don't think there'll be heaps, and you know people are getting very enthusiastic about it in the wake of Zali Stegall uh, and others. So, yeah, it could be it could be tricky that you know Labor win, but the majority in the lower house isn't even that great, and that they don't get an upper house majority. That's not good for the economy. Okay, uh, because we know the Liberal Party are, are much better at destroying things and building things. Unfortunately, they've demonstrated that. It's not a political comment, I think it's fact. Um, so Australia could be interesting, and if the economy is is a lot slower and property prices start to come off, and they will. That is a bold prediction. No, property debt is 96% of GDP. Are you saying property prices will be lower than? Yes. I Write no, that down. That's no. a bold prediction. Yeah, nobody <laughs> expects it. No, everybody think, no. If interest rates go, I and mean, we've got to, you've got to say, I mean, the one institution, I mean, you, you can criticise a lot of institutions in Australia, but the one that, that yeah, in all seriousness, you, you really should criticise is the Reserve Bank of Australia. You know, they, they have lost the plot. Yeah, they live in a world of their own, and and yeah, this 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 property debt that's grown up to be equivalent to the size of the economy, uh, that's a problem with rates where they are and prices of property where it is. So there's only really one way that can go, and I think that might 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 make life difficult for the banks, even mm. though they'll get a bit of a respite from interest rates going up. There are going to be other sides of things that are difficult for them. They're going to have to take costs out of their business. The biggest issue for any business in the world is costs. 
Labor costs are going up, other costs are going up as well, and it's labor costs that are sticky. And remember, the big thing about inflation where I might be wrong, what you don't want to see in inflation, and it's starting to happen, is inflation expectations rise. Mm. People are starting to say, oh, I want a pay rise. Why? Oh, because my bus fares more. You know, this is more, that costs more, something else costs more. We know stuff costs more temporarily because of supply chains, but if it's still costing a lot more two-thirds of the way through 2022, then we're going to have a problem, okay? And Australia's not immune from that. You read the Financial Review, it sits there thinking we're immune from all this stuff. Get out of here, we're not, absolutely not. And Australia's banks, they're going to have to restructure themselves. It's quite clear they're way behind the eight ball on fintech, uh, apart from Combank, but they've got too many people, they're going to have to restructure. So when you look at the top 10 stocks, you've got the three big iron ore miners, BHP, Rio, Fortescue, you've got the five big banks now because um, people, people love valuing Macquarie's trading income at 16 times earnings, but they only value Virtue's trading income at 11. Interesting dichotomy. Then you've got West Farmers, which is the economy, and then CSL with a new acquisition, then Woolies after that. Yeah. So... I don't think the Aussie market will be that bad, but I just don't see it being that good. And there's a lot of there's a lot of overpriced mid caps in the middle, maybe good companies, but they're just way too expensive. Mm-hmm. And in a rising interest rate environment, they're really going to have to move. And yeah, their their cost base is not going to make it easy. So to be quite frank, you've got to stop picking Australia. I'd rather be on the resource side plus selected micro caps. No, Andrew, nice. we've only got two minutes, but there's one thing in your notes that you didn't touch on that we sixty seconds or less let's get your two cents yeah. uh you've got magellan down yeah magellan's fascinating um you know with, with the stock having come back first thing fund managers going nowhere trade on pe's between seven and ten okay you can go back and look at things like franklin in the us a few years ago they were down at p is seven mm. okay so they're an active manager Okay, so they've got to add value, and obviously they've scrambled to do that for a variety of reasons, and now they've lost their biggest client. Um, if you go on my Twitter feed, at Abron Investor, if you uh, look back and use the search function and put, you know, uh, dollar sign MFG.ax, which is the stock code, I did quite a long thread where I said I'd get interested about $18. They're not there yet. Mm. Um, and sort of $15, i would get really interested. I think the people are great. Mm. Okay. Uh, everybody loves to cut the tall poppy down, and and you know that that's pretty ordinary to see what what goes on there. Mm. You know, Hamish is uh, you know he's extremely talented, and don't forget he's got uh, Chris McKay doesn't work at Magellan, but he's clearly one of the founding people there. He's on the board, and he's you know he's a mentor. Mm. So the reason for picking that eighteen to so fifteen to eighteen dollars is basically to take the funds under management down to a level basically um, around about or below 100 billion, mm. okay? So it's sort of 90-odd billion at 60 basis points. That's a question mark. Uh, and their fixed cost base. And you end up basically with about a dollar eighty a share of earnings. Okay. Okay? So 10 times a dollar eighty is 18 bucks. It's as simple as that. Obviously, there's some calculations and workings to get to the to get to a sustaining earnings number, and these guys do better in bear markets. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when the dust has settled, and there'll be some more outflows, of course, just 
fund managers are like dominoes when mm. one client goes is 10 behind them. Um, but once that settles, it could get very, very interesting. Well, hopefully they do do better in a bear market. Otherwise, they're in a lot of trouble. That's well, right. that's <laughs> implicit in that is that you're hoping for a bear market. So, well. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see if they do. Just finally, other other cheapies. Um, I actually own Herbal Life. Okay. Um, I suggest all of you read John Hempton's um, uh, letters, which are up on his website, mm. uh, Bronte Capital. Um, I think John, in his own way, has effectively peaked the environment the same as me. Okay. Which is John is short, what he calls crap, uh, and he's long good companies. And John's always short crap, though. Yeah, he's always short crap. But well, John is one of our white whales here at Equity Mates. He's yeah. said no to us a few times, but uh, one day we'll get, get, him, get him on. You'll get him on. And he's, he, you know, this this is the kind of environment he does really, really well. Mm. Uh, and his December numbers show that. So Herbalife's one of his longs. He's been adding. The stock's been uh, been pretty dull for the last couple of years. But, you know, again, it's on, you know, P a 10, and it mints cash. And yeah. I think it's got pricing power. There you go. Nice one. Well, Andrew, we will have to leave it there. But um, as always, thanks for kicking off the year with us. Absolutely. Left plenty of stocks for our, the audience to go through and uh, have a think about. Yeah. Please, please, everybody, the big lesson is um, don't think narrowly in 2022. You might have been able to in 2020 for part of it at least and certainly in 2021. Do not think narrowly in 2022 because if you do, you'll, you'll come a cropper. Mm. But the good news is by not thinking narrowly, you're going to learn a lot. Mm. Yeah. Some good bold predictions there. We've, we've made a note of them and uh, we'll be watching and we'll get you back on and we'll see how we go. I will look forward to it whenever that may be. Yeah. So that's great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, guys. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 